1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now would you stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 12. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people eat, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray God's blessing and God's anointing over the ministry of the word today. Let's pray in concert. Father, we bless you today. Thank you for each and every one that is gathered here and those that are tuning in online. We pray for the confidence and the boldness of the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate the Word of God with clarity and with effectiveness. Lord, I, I covet miracles in this place today. Lord, let there be supernatural manifestations of your provision to your people that are so faithful to you. Lord, I, I pray your blessings over every heart. I pray your conviction into every home, every household, every man and woman, young person that is hearing the sound of this preacher today. And I pray the Word of God will take root in good soil of the soul and that our lives will be changed. We give you glory and honor and praise for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Fifty-seven cents is the name of the message today. We took our scripture text from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to highlight two verses of scripture, verse 6 and verse 11. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for example, and they are written for our 
our admonition. In every nation throughout history to our current day, there has always been gods. In every nation in history to our current day, there has always been idols. Idols that become the primary focus of a nation. People give their allegiance and devotion to these idols. It's crazy how much people will sacrifice for an idol that they're devoted to. We look in the Bible and you can find that people sacrificed animals. And I could take you to a place in Scripture where people literally sacrificed their children to the burning altars of an idol, to a false god. I'm still a firm believer in the Ten Commandments. And the very first commandment that is given to us in the Word of God in Exodus chapter 20 is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No gods before Almighty God. And if you track carefully in Scripture, maybe you've never heard it along this line, you will find strikingly that Jehovah God would deal with nations and their gods or their idols. God would bring judgment down on the gods of the land. And that's the first thing I want to share with you today is that that you understand and that you're always clear, God's, little g, God's idols will always be judged. May I share with you that the ten plagues that God sent upon the nation of Egypt in the book of Exodus, we know if we've been students of Scripture any length of time, we grew up learning about it in Sunday school and in family training hour and, and different things that we were involved with that the ten plagues that God sent upon Egypt was to let the Jewish people go. And that is a great reason that God sent the ten plagues and we understand that as a primary reason. But that was not the only reason that God sent ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, and this is God talking, God speaking. He said, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all gods of Egypt, against all gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. Judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Now, Egypt had multiple idols. There was multiple idols that existed in the land of Egypt. In fact, on one occasion in Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law, his name was Jethro, he was given a praise to the Lord, and this is what he said. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. And then he said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. So what I want you to get is that those ten plagues were actually judgments against the deities of the Egyptians. Let me give you some examples. Egypt, in the nation of Egypt, they worshipped the Nile River. 
You may not have known that, but they worshiped the Nile River. Guess what? God turned the Nile River into blood. In Egypt, they worshiped the sun god named Ra, but God brought darkness upon the land. In Egypt, they worshiped Apis, the bull, but God brought pestilence upon the animals and the livestock. In Egypt, they, they worshiped Hect, the frog, and God brought an infestation of frogs upon the land. In Egypt, they worshipped various insects, various idols, and there was brought by God an infestation of both locusts and of lice. In Egypt, they worshipped Shu, which represented the atmosphere, and God brought hail as a judgment. In Egypt, they worshipped Imhotep, which was an idol of healing. So what does God do? God brought boils upon the bodies of the people of Israel, and they couldn't find any relief for it. In Egypt, they worshipped Osiris, the god of life. And God would bring down the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptian families. Again, you worship the Nile, God turns it into blood. You worship the sun god, God covers the land with darkness. You worship the bull, God kills the livestock. You worship the frog, God overruns their land with frogs. Are you getting the message this morning? Gods will be judged by God Jehovah. The pattern is consistent throughout scripture. It's consistent throughout history. If you fast forward 581 years, there was a God by the name of Baal, and they worshiped that God, and they counted on that God, that idol, to bring land, uh, rain upon the land. And don't you know Jehovah God was greater than Baal? And don't you know that God said, at my word, there will be a famine or a, and a drought upon the land for the next three and a half years, and there was nothing Baal could do about it. It would lead to the ultimate confrontation on Mount Carmel, all because an idol that was supposed to control nature was really nothing standing up against God Jehovah. In another place, there was the Philistines' God. God. Their idol was named Dagon, and they set Dagon, they had the nerve and the audacity to set Dagon up next to the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of Jehovah God. And they, they shouldn't have been surprised, but the next morning they come in, actually two consecutive mornings, and when it was all said and done, they come in and they found Dagon headless and handless and flat on his feet next to God's presence, uh, which was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so what is, what is the message, preacher, that you're trying to say? The message is this. God is saying, I will judge idols that replace me in the hearts of people. I will bring down judgment. In Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says God will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt. He will burn the temples and take their gods captive. In Zephaniah chapter 2, in verse 11. The scripture says the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the land. Let me just stop here and tell you the Lord he is God and besides him there is none else. There is no second place, no third place, no tenth place. All gods that try to 
stand up against Jehovah God. They are torn down, broken down, destroyed. They amount to chaff that gets blown away in the wind. The Lord, he is the only God. I wish somebody would give the Lord praise today. I am glad today that I serve the one, the true, the living, and the everlasting God. His name is Jehovah, and he has all of my devotion, all of my worship, and all of my praise. Hallelujah. You see, one thing that we all need to hear, we need to hear it over and over and over again, is that God is a jealous God. And God will not share his glory with another God. Any God or idol that you put up against the one true Jehovah God, that God will be judged. And you don't want to get caught up in that whirlwind when God brings down his judgment. You don't want to be in the crosshairs of God's judgment against your idol. And so we know that according to scripture, what I've shared with you, and I've shared with you by Bible, and I've shared with you history that any and all gods, any and all idols, God will bring judgment upon, then we start to ask the question, if gods will be judged, is America's God going to be judged by God? Is it going to be judged by, has it already been judged by God? You see, we here in the United States, here in the western part of the world, we don't swoon at the sun when it rises at the in the east we don't buckle our knee and bend it at the moon when it shines in the night we don't follow cows around in the streets while millions of children die of starvation I, I tell you I enjoy a hamburger we don't swoon but there are countries that literally where children are dying of starvation. People are dying and can't have food, and, and yet food walks around in front of them on a regular basis. That's not America, but America does have its idol. We have a main idol in America, and it is called money. The almighty dollar. Americans are consumed with money and materialism. This week I asked myself the question, if money is the idol in America, is God bringing judgment upon the American idol, the almighty dollar? I wonder if God is judging the American idol when I see our deficit now as a, as a country at over $30 trillion. And this past fiscal year alone, the deficit was over $2.77 trillion. I wonder if the American dollar is being judged by God when unemployment continues to hover at high percentages. I wonder if the American dollar is judged when it's up against other currency in other countries. I wonder if our American idol is being judged when we boast that we are the most powerful country in the world, but yet we are so heavily indebted to other countries and leaves us tiptoeing around clearly right and wrong issues because of our dependence upon our resources from those countries. Let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons why we don't take a stronger stand in the Middle East than what we do, and that's because we need the oil from the Middle East to be able to survive in America. Are y'all out there this morning? The American Idol. 
Are we so focused on the American idol that God has brought judgment down upon that idol to turn our hearts back to him? You see, Jesus tells us, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be very specific, and I'm going to give you some things to talk about at lunch today. I'm not sure you'll forget about this because you may not agree with everything I'm getting ready to tell you. But you can't argue the word of God. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. He says no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and he will despise the other. And then he finished out with a statement. He said you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I'm convinced that Jesus had us in mind when he made that statement. You see, I watch professing people, people that say they're believers, that they love Jesus. But then I watch as money has more control over them than Jesus does. <laughs> people that do professing Things, professing to be a believer, professing to walk in Christ, but they do questionable things because of money. I believe Paul had us in mind when he wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, when he said the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm telling you, we're not in another country. We don't, we're not faced with multiple statues to bow to. We're not like the three Hebrew boys who were to bow to a statue or to be killed. And I know there's some out there that are probably thinking in your mind that, well, pastor, money is neither good nor bad. It is neutral. I've heard that a lot. I've heard several people say it. And I'll tell you, I'll be the, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I thought that for a very, very, very long time. But one day I was reading in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. And Jesus, the words of Jesus, the red letters spoken from the lips of our Lord. He called riches unrighteous mammon or unrighteous money. If money is unrighteous, then friend, money is evil. If money is neutral... Then why did Jesus warn us in Matthew 13, 22 about the deceitfulness of riches? Listen carefully. It seems that Jesus is saying that money is defiling and money is deceitful in and of itself. And if that is truly the case, then here's the reality. Only God can redeem and sanctify money for noble use. Only God can sanctify and redeem money for noble purposes. If money is unrighteous, if money is deceitful, hey, money is, the, is, is evil and the love of money certainly is. Richard Foster wrote these words, listen to what he said. He said, behind money are invisible powers, powers that are seductive and deceptive, powers that demand an all-embracing devotion. Can I tell you today that wealth is dangerous, and even the most devoted, most professing Christian can be trapped into worshiping money. It doesn't matter whether you're on the platform or in the pew. If you're not careful, money can 
and play games with your mind. If you're not careful, money can send you places that you never intended to go. If you're not careful, money will cause you to sit down and look at your indebtedness and think to yourself, my goodness, six months ago, I never thought, is anybody in the house today? I never thought I would be here today. Why? Because money has the potential of being an open sepulcher. And if we're not careful and don't get a handle on it, it can take us down some very slippery slopes into a place that we don't want to go. And I know we're living in America. And I know that people have the idea, well, you know what? If you get in too deep, file chapter 13, file chapter 7. There's a file for everything now. But I'm telling you, when God blessed you with what he blessed you with, he expects us to live as faithful stewards unto the Lord. Money wants to claim the loyalty and the love that belongs only to God. And it does have the power to capture us if we're not careful. If money is not held in check, it will always leave us wanting more. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus again. These are all the words of Jesus. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of stocks you have. I tell you, I watch believers and they, and they fret every day over the stock market. Their whole day is depicted upon reading that morning paper or keeping up with that online. Oh, I'm, I'm meddling now. I feel it coming. And some of y'all are getting stressed out and, and you're losing your joy and, and, and you're all anxious about this and that and who's on Wall Street and who's on Main Street and who's on Pennsylvania Avenue. If we could just get that one out and get this one in. And what you need to embrace is that they're not your provider. Your provider is the son of the living God. Your provider is Jehovah Jireh who said, if you will look to me, I will supply all of your needs according to all of my riches in glory which is in Christ Jesus Luke 16 Jesus said for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God wow man that's strong is it possible that money could be an abomination to God. Is money more important to you than Jesus Christ? Could God possibly judge money in your possession? <laughs> if money becomes more important than God, God sure knows how to take it away from you. And he will do it to chastise you for your devotion to money more than your devotion to Jesus. Yes, those the Father loves, He does chasten or correct. God may allow something to come your way unexpectedly, and it awakens you to the reality money cannot fix this. Only God can fix this. Isn't that what he did when he changed the Nile River? The Egyptians' water source into blood. An idol was put down, and Jehovah God was exalted. A source was deleted, 
while only Jehovah's power was present. If money becomes more important than God, God could allow more material possessions to punish you and leave you in a mess because of your dependence upon that idol. Some of y'all think, boy, I'd like to be punished that way. You can send some more money, God. That'd be all right. Is it? If it's going to further drive a wedge between you and your devotion to Jesus, I don't want any parts of it. Are you sure you're blessed with more money? I don't know. I read where Paul wrote, godliness with contentment is what is called great gain. You know, the ten plagues, they worshipped a frog idol named Hect. And so God overran them with frogs. Frogs everywhere. My wife and I were pastoring several years ago in a particular town. And we had been in a home that when the rain came... There was these ugly things that looked like a cross between a grasshopper and a spider. They were about that big. We hadn't been there for but a few weeks. And she went in the cupboard, and there was one staring at her from her can of soup that she was going to have for lunch. The pressure was building. I was trying to get a word from God another day. I'm in my office. The office is next door to the home. She calls me up. She says, I just went and tried to put on a pair of slacks, and there was one in the pants leg of my slacks. And in her very sweet, kind, gentle, and diplomatic way, something's going to give. And boy, I went to praying and pleading. But out of the ten plagues, it is amazing to me. You got frogs in your cupboard, in your bedroom, in your clothes. It's interesting to note that of the ten plagues, the only, that's the only plague that Pharaoh asked for one more night. What was he thinking? He said, pray to the Lord that the frogs would go away tomorrow. Tomorrow. What was he thinking? One more night with the frogs. One more night with my idol. One more night with these possessions that you illegally or questionably obtained. One more night with this materialism that you covet more than food or water or Jesus. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Can't take it with you. There's no luggage rack on the hearse. Money will never satisfy you. It'll leave you longing for more. It's an open tomb. 
Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You don't have to agree with me, but it is, it is my strong belief after study that money, the American idol, is not neutral. But that money is in and of itself unrighteous and deceitful based upon Jesus' words. And the only way that we can avoid the judgment that is coming to the American idol is to ask God to redeem and sanctify the money that we watch over on his behalf. God's will be judged. Idols will be judged. Is America's idol judged? I believe it is. It's unrighteous. It's deceitful. So what do we do? What do we do with the idol called money? What do we do with it? What do we do with it? We ask God to redeem it. Sanctify it. And turn it into ministry. <laughs> this happens through what the Bible teaches as biblical stewardship. We redeem and sanctify money through biblical stewardship. It's, you know, stewardship is, is raising disciples to grow in their walk with Christ. It is. A person can claim. That Jesus is their Lord, and there's two places that anyone can look to find out if they're telling the truth. Their calendar and their checkbook. Your digital planner and your online account. See, I'm convinced that there are many believers that are bound up by the idol called money. All this past week. This is what led to this message. All this past week, I couldn't shake. I couldn't shake last Sunday's Matthew 22. Matthew 22, there was an invitation sent out to come to the wedding. Two of the three responses said, I can't come because of farming. That speaks to priorities. Another one said, I can't come to the wedding because of merchandise. That speaks to possessions, priorities, and possessions. Yes, God is judging the idols of this world. But I can still prosper in this world. As a believer. Well, how do you prosper? I thought prosper has to do with money. Oh no. One writer in the New Testament put it like this. I pray that you prosper as your soul prospers. It's not what's in your bank account. It's the level of heart that you have for Christ. I want to live with blessings. I'll have enough, not have enough room to receive them. That's God's economy. That's God's way. 
I want to be blessed with all spiritual blessings from on high. That's God's economy, God's way. When you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. I want God to rebuke the enemy of my soul, my marriage, my health, my family. That's God's economy. That's God's way. I want to get there. Preacher, I want to get there. Tell me how I get there. Function like God wants you to function. Live like God wants you to live. That's why I embrace Proverbs 3, 9 and and 10. This is what it says. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So... Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, I could spend some time there. Your barns will be filled with plenty. God will take care of all your needs. And then I could also talk about the new wine. You know, there's something to be said when you put God first in your money, you open the spiritual floodgates of heaven into your spiritual life as well as your physical life, as well as your financial life. God wants to bless all of your life. Proverbs eleven twenty five. The giving soul shall be made fat. And he that waters shall be watered also himself. So bountifully, and you will reap bountifully. Mm. I dare say there's somebody sitting and listening to me, and it may only be one or two people, but you're, 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 you're waiting on the next rebate check, the next stimulus check. We all get a little warm and fuzzy. Oh, I got this check in the mail. I like it. I'm no idiot. I like it. Direct deposit shows up. And if it's 500 bucks, your grandchildren will probably be paying 1500 of it back. And you know I'm telling the truth. You can enjoy it for the moment, and that's what feeds the impulse of the American people. We want it, and we want it now. out of my pickle. Let me go give that dollar to play that next ticket. Friend, money's your idol. It's never gotten a dollar of mine, and it never will. If you give one dollar trying to get this world's filthy money, it is an idol in your heart, and you need to break it down and let Jesus take over. The same Ten Commandments talks about do not covet. Do not covet. Do not covet. Do not desire after the things of the world. God, help us that would money not be our idol. I believe God wants to destroy the idolatry out of our money. Sanctify it for ministry. Why should a believer want more money? 
Well, we got to save for retirement. We got to plan for the future. No. Really and truthfully, if a believer should want more money, it's so that they can give more money. Hmm. I got a feeling my line after church is going to be very short. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I, I, I grew up under a pastor that I absolutely adore, but he did not preach on biblical stewardship. In all the years, he was my shepherd. One day, I was praying about that thing, and no, no preacher is comfortable talking about money. I'm not comfortable right now, but it's a God-given assignment. Money's talked about more in the Bible than faith. Money's talked more about in the Bible than, than heaven. And if God talks about money, if Jesus talks about money, then I would dare say he wants his preachers to talk about money. So, Pastor, how do I redeem and sanctify my money so that it is not an idol to me? First of all, you start tithing immediately. It's the first tenth. It's the first fruit. It is an eternal principle. It was in place before the law was ever given about tithing. I could take you to places in Genesis before it ever became a law of God to the people of Israel where people tithe unto the Lord. It's an eternal principle. It's a New Testament principle. It's to be brought into the storehouse where one is fed. The storehouse, last time I checked, is not Aunt Sally unless you're having a home church with Aunt Sally. And Aunt Sally is feeding you spiritually. The, the tithe is, is, is not to be split with your favorite charity. Not according to the scripture. And I promise you, but more importantly, God promises that you will be blessed with the 90% remaining than if you selfishly keep all of it. The second thing. You can redeem and sanctify your money by laying down foolish habits with what is left after the tithe. I'm, I'm in good and deep right here, ain't I? I used to be one of those believers. I return my tithe, and it don't matter what I do with the rest of my money. Wrong. Your money is God's money. So when you return the tithe, then he also leaves you to manage the 90%. As I bemoaned and repented over my credit card debt this week. Throwing away money. God's money. To corporate America. Because I had to have it. And I had to have it right now. <laughs> Stewardship is not just returning the tithe. It's, it's managing what is left unto the Lord. Hey, it doesn't mean you don't have good things. And then the third thing, after you've tithed and after you've taken hold of what le what's left to manage, and then... Start giving over and above the tithe. Start giving biblically. 
I, I can't even explain to you the blessings that come to you when you biblically give. When you find you a little widow woman and you just bless her because you know that she's struggling from one week to the next. When you find your retired minister and you say, I'm just going to bless them because I want, I know and understand that they're worthy of double honor. They labored in the vineyard and in the, in the fields and they, they won the harvest. And they're worthy of double honor. Find you an orphan. Find you an orphan. A neighbor's kid. A single mom. The dad tragically passed away and say, I'm just going to start helping them out. It involved in missions given. Preacher, you don't understand. I don't have a whole lot. It doesn't matter what size it is. That's the beautiful thing about the Lord. You know, Jesus is in the temple. And he sees all the religious people come and they're bringing their big old heavy sacks. And they're dropping them at the altar. And then this little widow woman comes by and drops off a couple of mites. Hey, fellas. See her? They're all overwhelmed because they see the religious people showingly dropping off their big bags. And Jesus nudges them saying, don't look at them. Look at her. They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her all. It's a true story. It grabs me every time I comes to my memory, my mind. About a little girl. She was standing near a small church. She had just been turned away because it was too crowded. She broke down and started crying. She cried out to the pastor and said, I can't go to Sunday school. It's too crowded. The pastor was touched with compassion. He took her inside and he found her a place in a Sunday school class that was already very full. And that little girl was so touched by her pastor's act of kindness. She went to bed that night thinking about the children who have no place to worship Jesus, to learn about Jesus. Two years later, the little girl died in a rundown building. And the parents, they called for that same pastor to do the funeral. He found out as her frail body was removed, there was a worn and a very crumpled up purse found with her body. And inside the little purse was 57 cents and a handwritten note. And it said, quote, this is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. Two years, she scrounged and found pennies and dimes and what she could for this little 57 cent offering. The 
pastor knew what he needed to do after he read that note. He carried that note and that little purse and that 57 cents, he carried it to the pulpit. He told the story of her unselfish devotion and love. Listen to what happened. A newspaper learned of the story and published it. A realtor read the story and offered the little church a parcel of land worth many thousands of dollars. When the realtor was told the church could not pay so much, he offered it to the church for 57 cents. People began giving large donations. Within a few years, the little girl's gift had increased from 57 cents to a quarter million dollars. Today, when you visit Philadelphia, if you will find Temple Baptist Church, a church that seats 3,300 people, a university where students are now trained, a good Samaritan hospital, and a Sunday school building that houses hundreds of children. And it all began with a little girl and her 57 cents. It's not cliche. It is truth. It is eternal truth. Little is much when God is in it. Get ready. We're going to pray here in a little bit. Say, Pastor, can my little bit really make a difference? Can God redeem? Is my, is my, is my, money, is my money evil? Can God redeem and sanctify my money for his glory? Can he take the idolatry out of my money? He can when we bless and not hoard. He can when we give and not keep. I've got my wallet, men. You've got a wallet or a, a money clip or a debit card. You've got something in your pocket if your wife allowed you to wear it today. Ladies, I know y'all got y'all's purses. Man, y'all got them shoulder straps over one side. Anybody tries to take it, you'd be able to kill them in a heartbeat. Handheld shoulder strap. You got that on your person that represents your money. And I'm, we're going to pray in just a little bit, and our prayer is going to be twofold. So get it out. Get it ready. I'm going to ask you to bring it to the altar with you. Whether it's a, a purse or a wallet or a money clip or a debit card, don't bring a credit card. A debit card. Tony, come on up here. I really don't want money to be an idol in my life. Had some things I wanted to do this year. I wanted to do a little traveling. But I've had to do some repenting this week. Because while I am a faithful steward with what comes into the storehouse, I haven't been the greatest over what is remaining. So I'm not, a, I'm not among you as someone that is better than you or has it all under control. 
I want God to sanctify and redeem my money. I want him to remove the idolatry out of my money. Does this resonate with anybody this morning? Is anybody getting this in their spirit? You got it in your hands? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask every one of you to come. That, that, that feels compelled to come. I want you to come. I want everybody to come. This is important. This is important. I believe some miracles are going to come out of this. I believe some miracles are going to come out of this. Come on. Come on, just bring it with you. Just bring it with you. I believe I'm under a directive of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Gather on in. We're going to pray two prayers this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way. Whether it's a wallet or a money clip or a purse, I want you to, I want you to cross your arms over your chest and begin to pray. Begin to pray out loud. God, I want you to redeem and sanctify my money. I want you to redeem and sanctify my money. Come on, pray with me, saints. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is the vehicle, the element. This seems to be the resource that you choose for us to live in this world, in this country, in this county, in this town. God, you know we have to have it to make it. But Lord, today, as I stand before you, I repent for times that I have allowed it to take on an idolatrous role in my life. Lord, I've been faithful to you for many years in returning the tithe, but there are times that I've not been the greatest steward over what's remaining. And so, Lord, I'm asking you today, I'm crossing my arms over my heart. I'm holding this wallet up against my heart along with my brothers and my sisters, and I'm asking you, Lord, today to redeem my money. I'm asking you to sanctify, sanctify the money that you have given me to watch over. I'm asking you, Lord, to take the idolatry. Oh, I wish somebody would cry out to the Lord right now. Take the idolatry out of my money to where, Lord, you know without a shadow of a doubt my faithfulness is to you and to you alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You said money can deceive us. You said money can become more of our devotion than Jesus Christ. God, that's not what I want in my life. I want to sit down and make the hard decisions. If I ain't tithing, I'm going to tithe. If I'm in credit debt, I'm going to take it seriously. And before I next satisfy the impulse, I'm going to pay that down. Lord, I'm going to learn how to give above the tithe. I'm going to find me a missions to get involved in. I'm going to find me a widow. I'm going to find me an orphan. I'm going to find me a retired minister. I'm going to find a cause, Lord, that I can give over and above to give seed into good soil that would bring back 10 and 20 and 100 fold in its return. 
Lord, I'm asking you today, sanctify and redeem. Lord, I've read your red letters today, my Lord and my God. I've read your words today, the words that fell from your lips. And I'm asking you, Lord, to intensify conviction in my life on how I manage that that belongs to you. We're going to pray a second prayer here. There's something about believers. We're hesitant about asking God for financial miracles. It's almost like we feel something's wrong if we ask Him for something, but everything's okay. You know, it's good. It's, you know, the lights are on. The house payment is made. I have a massive college debt. It's called children. And I would just love for the Lord to open the windows of heaven and it not take me 10 years to pay it off. It is okay to ask God to bless you financially. He is your father. You are his son and his daughter. You ready? Get it in your mind, whatever that number one is. Some of y'all may not have financial needs. I got a feeling, though, everybody has got something to pray about financially. I could be wrong, but I got a feeling everybody does. Maybe those medical bills are piling up. I've shared the miracle before. I'll share it again before we pray. Ben was six weeks old. I was hooked up to all kinds of wires and tubes. I was on a heart monitor when he came home from the hospital after a 30-day stay. I had the honor of being asked to speak at the morning service at camp meeting. I'll never forget it. It was on a Wednesday morning in June 1999 under the old tabernacle. Love that old tabernacle. Went preach. It was about 100 people in the day service. Never forget this. I wasn't expecting it. But the medical bills had been piling up from his 30-day stay. Tens of thousands of dollars. Insurance had covered most of it, but there was still a large chunk. State, state overseer at the time was named W.A. Davis. He stood up behind the pulpit. He's gone on to glory now, but he stood up behind the pulpit after I had got done preaching. And he said, we're going to take up an offering for this couple's little baby's medical bills. And there was 100 people sitting out in the tabernacle. I wasn't aware it was coming. When it was all said and done, they gave me a check for $3,700 that completely covered his medical expenses. A pastor from Dale City walked up to me that I had never met before in my life. And he said, tell me what your name is. And wrote a $1,000 check out of his personal account to take care of my boy's medical bills. You have come by way too late to tell me God's not interested in every area of your life, including your finances. Are you ready? Lift your hands to the Lord. Put that need in your forefront right now. I'm going to put this mic down. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. Are you ready? 
Come on, whatever that financial need, we're focusing on it right now. God, you've sanctified, you have sanctified and redeemed our money and consecration to you. Now, Lord, we're going to lift up our...